level. It's your first time up, so don't do anything interesting. Who? Me? Yeah, you. And remember, she stalls out at about 100. So keep the airspeed up, otherwise you're going to be drifting around all over the sky. And if the ailerons start to shimmy... Baby, I have flown a plane or two in my life. You know? Not like this one you have, and this one's, this one's a handful. You sneeze in this thing, and you can end up upside down in the bean field. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 226, and our movie this week is 1991's The Rocketeer. And joining me, because they had never seen it before, it's Katra. How you doing? Hey, Adora. I mean, Travis and chat room. How are you guys? I'm doing great. This was a surprisingly awesome movie. <laughs> okay, so... I got to know how, because you're, you're a little bit younger than me, but only by a couple of years. So how was it that you just never saw this? Did it just kind of never cross your path or well, okay, what, it, if any history have you got? It, it came out in, in June of 1991. So I was like seven and a half years old when it came out mm-hmm. or no, no. Yes. Seven and a half. I, I get my ages. Sure. The quote, the doctor, I'm so old. I forget how old I am, <laughs> but right. so yeah, no, I, I just had, never seen it before it literally just never like i had heard of it you know i can remember seeing the the commercials especially mm-hmm. on the disney channel because it is a disney production and everything but yeah. just never actively went to go see it okay and just never never got it on home video never rented it or anything like that yeah it was just not one of those movies that really you, you know how with let's watch highlander i'll be in the chat room and say oh not another nazi episode mm-hmm that's kind of how I was with this one growing up. It's like, uh, not another Nazi movie. So, okay. I mean, I didn't, I didn't see this in theaters. 1991 was the summer of TMNT two, the secret of the use. That's, mm-hmm. that was my movie for that summer. There was a couple of others, I believe the same year, but, uh, this one just sort of, I, I remember seeing ads for it as a kid. I was right around nine, 10 years old, uh, kind of target audience for this movie just didn't see it but i did see it shortly after it came out on home video and i enjoyed it quite a bit i distinctly remember watching this with my dad and him and i just kind of getting a kick out of a couple of the the one-liners in it and just enjoying it as just kind of a fun movie um so as you mentioned debuted june 1991 now the rocketeer is based on a comic book that began in 1982 (laughs) and it was made specifically in kind of an homage to 30s pulp heroes so you had the rocketeer um and the look in the movie is very like basically dead on to what the comic book was there were some tweaks to the the jetpack but overall they basically just copy and pasted in fact i did read that um the creator of the comic book uh dan stevenson is that his name yeah he um he gave a bunch of his concept art and concept material to the filmmakers when they were making the movie and they pretty much just went with that. Like they, yeah, that's, they that's used, what I've been reading too. And, which is fascinating to me that, that, you know, they really, because a lot of times when you adapt a comic book, you make several changes and there were changes made that we will talk about. Um, but sure. it, it's kind of cool how closely they were able to replicate the feel for this. So this movie comes out in 1991. This was during 
kind of a the first sort of comic book movie boom period. Yeah. Because prior to 989, the movies based on comic books effectively were the Superman films um, and, uh, and Howard the Duck. The, there wasn't much else that were comic book based films. There'd been some series, some TV stuff, uh, but major like motion pictures, it was that. And uh, then Batman 89 comes out and changes everything. Yep. And like Hollywood was never the same after that. But Batman 89 was just you were you might have been just a little bit too young to fully get the the juggernaut that that was at the time. But even that even so you you have to have like remembered just seeing Batman stuff everywhere. at that. Oh, point, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, all to- well, especially because I live in Pittsburgh, and the main star was Pittsburgh's own Michael Keaton, as I love to say. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, and <laughs> literally, literally everywhere. It had action figures and lunchboxes and, and tie-ins at uh, McDonald's, and just, yeah. you couldn't escape it. And then, yeah. so that's 1989, right? And then 1990, what's the big one? Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The live-action oh, film comes yeah, out. Yep. And the, the cartoon series is still going strong and it's just everywhere. It's at Pizza Hut. It's at uh, like every every toy store is riddled with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. There's a video game. There's all of it. So movie studios started being like, okay, that's it. Everything based on comic books. Let's just do it right now. And they were buying up whatever they could basically. Yeah. And so the Rocketeer was one that Disney uh, finally said an okay to that originally there were plans as far back as like 83 84 to try and do a live action movie of the rocketeer um mm-hmm. stevens wanted to do that fairly soon after he talked to some people but it kept stalling out the the initial um the two writers two of the writers that got credit for this who are uh let me find the names here um i scrolled right past them of course uh Dave Dan, or Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo had actually been approached. They started working on a script. They wanted to do something kind of black and white, very low budget, um, but they couldn't get a studio to buy in. Uh, yeah, honestly, it was I think too low budget. I think that would have worked for this movie too. A, bla- a black and white movie. I think that totally would have worked. It could have. It could have. Uh, I could see it because it was very much um, inspired by you know the old like Commander Cody. Um, type serials and those were in black yeah. and white back back then well Buck uh, rogers in the 26th century or whatever it was, yep, was another that kind of stuff too so they they kicked around the idea it ended up not really coming to fruition but they the the bones of their script is uh what sort of became the story for this movie um william deer had signed on he was going to direct it he ended up not being able to because they just sort of drug things out for too long um but joe johnston who had met Stevens when they uh, when he was working on I think it was Empire, I think uh, Dave Stevens. So thank you for the correction there. Um, Dave Stevens had come to the set of either Star Wars or Empire, and uh, was just checking some stuff out and met Joe Johnston at that point, and they kind of reconnected, you know, several years later. Uh, Joe Johnston was um, a big part of the art department at ILM. And he had yeah. uh, worked on a lot of the design stuff on things like the Millennium Falcon, like Boba Fett's uh, initial 
look, all of that kind of stuff. So he definitely had the right background for it. And I think that the two of them kind of connected a little bit. Sure. And, and I mean, as far as directing, Joe Johnson had only previously done Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But here's the thing. So so here's Disney with like, all right, we've got this. We're, we're, <laughs> it eventually got to Disney that they bought, uh, they got an option to make the Rocketeer and they went ahead with it. So they've got this thing sitting there. They're like, okay, we've got this comic book property. We're going to do it. And I think that initially when uh, Stevens first talked to him, they wanted to do it under the touchstone banner sure, because that makes sense. his initial idea was to have it not necessarily like dark and gritty or adult, but he was going for more of a PG 13 feel uh, at the time. And Disney ended up deciding, no, you know, it's going to be more marketable for all the merchandise. If we make it PG and we make it a family movie. So they decided to do it under the Disney banner. And here, and then they've got Joe Johnston who, just did honey i shrunk the kids the year before which made a boatload of cash and he also he has a good style and so it was kind of it was a good mix and they decide to go with it so now it's now it's into casting and all of that and that is where this movie Uh, really shines is in its casting for me yes but i i can think of one way to make this movie a a a billion times better to be honest with you well before before we get to that i'm gonna give i'm gonna give a quick background of what disney wanted versus what the creators wanted so joe johnston and dave stevens wanted an unknown um actor to play the role they didn't want a known face and billy campbell uh who was not completely unknown, but in the realm of everyone, he was pretty well unknown. He had, he had starred in a, a crime story um, series, but for the most part was pretty unknown. But he uh, actually got a haircut to look like the character from the comic um, uh-huh. and did an audition and they loved him. Disney, however, wanted a name. They wanted a yeah. face that they could market. Even They wanted somebody who was... You hear things where they talk about like, oh, they wanted an A-lister. Well, they wanted somebody who was at least as well-known as Michael Keaton was prior to Batman. They wanted and that see, level or higher. And see, okay, and so, I'm, I'm, I'm biased in everything. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh. He's from Pittsburgh. But I think he would have worked in this movie. But you're not going to cast him in this the year after Batman. Like, no, or no. within a year of Batman. It's just, you're not doing that. He's And they couldn't have afforded him. That would have ballooned the the budget i'm sure but i don't know i don't know that i like michael keaton for this role i'll kind of get to why um but disney you know they trotted in all sorts of people they were bringing in kurt russell they were bringing in uh, johnny depp uh as the rumors go uh all sorts of names johnson and stevens kept fighting back and saying no we want this unknown we want it we, we don't want to go with with anybody um and they eventually won out and and cast billy campbell um i personally loved Billy Campbell as Cliff. And it's somewhat surprising to me. And I'm pretty sure it's because this movie did not do well at the box office that Billy Campbell didn't have more of a, even a a short career kind of starring in a bunch of movies before it fell off. He sort of had this and then that was it. And he steadily worked. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Uh, He's still working up to today. He's done a lot of uh, television um, and some some you know some series, and he pops up in things here and there. But looking at this movie, his look, 
his charisma on screen, which I think he actually had, and he had very good chemistry with Jennifer Connelly. Um, I felt like, I feel like he should have had like a longer arc as that sort of leading man. And he never got that. And I think a lot of it is because the Rocketeer just bombed. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. He definitely has that leading actor look too, especially in this movie. I thought he was very handsome, but Travis, I think I'm going to make this movie just a little bit better and appeal to what the writers wanted in an unknown, unnamed actor. Uh, There was this guy in 1991. He was just starting his, his acting career. In fact, he had just had a role in 1991's uh, Vietnam and uh, dogfight. And the following year, he made a movie called Encino Man. I think the leading actor should have been Brendan Fraser. Fraser, not Fraser. Well, okay, that's I, what I, thought I, I said. I, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, always, I always make that joke because there was a, a promo he did many years ago on, I don't remember, I always think it's MTV, but it, but it might not have been. But he made the, he makes the joke of, I'm Brendan Fraser, and that's Fraser. You say, Fraser, I know where you live. Um, and like that just stuck with me forever, but I could see him in this role. He could do because he's got all of those same things. He's got all of that charisma. He's got the look for it. I could see that working. Um, he's a little, I think he's a touch younger than, than Billy, Uh... I think, but they're, they're right around that same age. So he could have worked. He definitely had the the look and the build to be that guy, and he's got yeah. the he's got the comedic uh, timing and kind of the the charisma that um, that I, honestly I think Billy Campbell had. So yeah, no, that that's a great casting choice too. But I don't think Billy Campbell's a bad casting. Either. Oh no 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 no! Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Billy Billy Campbell is bad at all. I think he was great in the role. I'm just saying the movie probably could have been probably could have been just a little bit better with babyface Fraser in there. Yeah. I'm going to butcher that. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I think he would have, I, I mean, I don't know how he would have been with Jennifer Connelly for who was magnificent by the way, as well. Oh, and, she was I mean, the whole cast was great. And I got to admit that I, I I've confused Billy Campbell with the guy who played Cupid on charmed a lot. So I could there's see that. that. <laughs> yeah. It's, but I mean, and then you see Timothy Dalton, and I'm sitting there like, "What's James Bond doing in a movie like this?" Well, you now know? imagine it's 1991 though, and you're watching this. He's just done The Living right. Daylights and License to Kill. Like he is, he is James Bond at this point. This is pre Goldeneye, you're and right. here he is playing the bad guy, and he's so good at it. And he really is. This this movie right here, by the way, for me, is when I watch it, it is the proto version of what he does as Simon Skinner in Hot Fuzz about 15 years later, where he's just a little, he's a little bit older, right? He's 15 years older, but he's playing that same. He's just kind of, he takes this Neville Sinclair character and just sort of cranks it up, the, the over-the-top factor for Simon Skinner, and it works totally. so well. He's got that ability to have such a slimy delivery but he does it through that smile where you're just like but i like him but he's a nazi i can't find my notebook now but i totally had written down that timothy dalton in 1991 still has it in 2023 oh because he's still got that he's still got that sex appeal to him completely he does and he's got that like 
having so this movie being set in the 1930s 1938 i believe it is october um, 1938 and, yes and him playing the character of neville sinclair which is it's errol flynn that's who he's playing they're just yeah. not using the name errol flynn it's so good because he has that gravitas to him he has that presence where you could see him in old hollywood especially you know kind of hamming he's hamming it up a little bit here he's turning it up just a little bit and he's perfect at it and with that little mustache and just that that smirk that he has is yeah just when he turns when he turned to, to say hi to the small time actor playing clark gable oh that was great that's that's what i knew yeah timothy dalton would have made it perfect in the 1930s hollywood and I loved I loved that uh, Clark Gable and um, W. C. Fields uh, yes. impersonators that they had. Those were both fantastic. Um, but Dalton Dalton is so good in this because it's never hidden that he's a villain. Like yeah. basically, after that first scene where he's um, doing his acting, right? We haven't revealed that he's the bad guy yet, but it's like right after that we get that reveal. So it's never hidden. And he just does such a good job throughout it. But he also gets to have these sort of extra heel turns, extra reveals about his character as you go on. We know he wants the the rocket pack, but we don't know why. And then we learn later on why, because he's a spy. He's working for the Germans. And then after, <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. It's so dumb, but it's so good at the same time. After like the full reveal of where his allegiances lie, he either adopts or falls back into a German guy. accent. Yeah. Depending on how you want to look at it. Like he either was putting on the fake English accent as Neville Sinclair, or he's now adopting a German accent. It could go either way. It's kind of a coin flip. I love it because it's so dumb. It has no purpose whatsoever. And it's for like three minutes of dialogue. But it, without it, yeah, I think no, the movie no, is they, lesser. Without that silly little that detail. Scene. Now, what I think could have been, honestly, what could have been removed from the movie was the whole who created the rocket pack in the first place. Oh, you don't like the stuff with Howard I would have liked it better that. if Disney would have actually ponied up the money and got Doc Savage instead. You know, I thought that because that's in the comic it's doc it's it's heavily implied i don't think they come right out and say it and phil rude in the chat might know because he's read more of the comics than i have i've only done kind of a cursory glance over them but but it's it's either heavily implied or stated somewhere that it's doc savage that made it and disney didn't have the the rights for doc savage they wouldn't um, pay for it i kind of like changing it to see, howard hughes and i like that and i like i like that because it's giving you a still larger than life comic book type character, but a real person that you could buy was like, no, Howard Hughes is crazy enough that he would have tried to do something like this and then thrown it away because he's, well, Howard I, Hughes I, I think, he's just I think the there. main problem I had was um, that Howard Hughes in the movie at the very least was a bit of a pacifist and the real Howard Hughes purposely made a car that could have been retrofitted to be a weapon for the war. And even then, he came off, and of course, this is me in 2023 looking at a movie in 2000 or 1991. He came off to me as too much like Howard Stark instead of Howard Hughes. 
Well, Howard Stark and Tony Stark. Yeah, I'm 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 aware of that. That's that was the inspiration. But I, I just think so. I, it, I don't like. Know. I, I still think that the Disney should have said to Condé Nast, "We'll pay you whatever you want. Let us use Doc Savage, just to get that authentic feel from the comics, and it would have been much better." Well, okay. Sure. So I ask you this though, uh, in especially in 1991, but even today, how many people know who Doc Savage is? If you say the name Doc Savage to Bob your average person, not a comic book fan, not a comic book nerd but just somebody who's going to a movie and you have a character in it named Doc Savage. I think a, Do you think many people I think about the same amount of people that know who Howard Hughes are, who's, who is. Uh, I can tell you that of acquaintances of mine, family members especially, that are not my dad because my dad <laughs> was a comic book reader, uh, almost none of them know who Doc Savage is, but a lot of them especially older crowds and those that would have been your uh, sort of older parents and younger grandparents in 1991. Okay, let, let, me, let me put it from my perspective then. I started reading comic books shortly after the Wonder Woman movie came out, and I still knew who Doc Savage was. Sure, but you dive into stuff at a, at a very okay, different that's rate fair. than your average person. <laughs> no, that, no, that's completely fair. That's... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I just didn't like the it's not even about the character specifically. I just didn't like the the subplot. I didn't care for it. I didn't care who created the rocket pack. The movie was literally guys find it. By the way, Alvin um Arkin, he, he just passed away. He was Alvin Arkin. Arkin, sorry, sorry. Yep. He just passed oh. he was phenomenal in this movie. But it's two men find this rocket. The FBI wants it for the war effort, even though it's 1938 and the United States is still like three years, three plus years away from entering the war in the first place. And the Nazis wanting it because, well, they're Nazis. That's enough. Well, but here's the thing. So so the FBI doesn't want it for the war effort. The FBI wants it is is trying to keep organized crime. Okay, well, that, they yeah. don't know yeah. right away that the Nazis are after it, but, but Howard Hughes does. Howard Hughes got that information for them in this movie. He told them about it. They know that the organized crime is involved. That's what the FBI is doing there. I, I think that you need, it doesn't take anything away for me to have an origin of where did this come from? Now, if you want to say, okay, it could be any random, just a random eccentric millionaire, billionaire of the time um, who created this thing, that's fine. Uh, I just kind of liked the the sort of nod to we've already got like we've got Neville Sinclair, who's a, a fictionalized character, but he exists in a world with Clark Gable and W.C. Fields. So now we've got the FBI and Howard Hughes, who is played by Terry O'Quinn. Oh, yeah, I love Terry O'Quinn and he's he's having a great time in this. He's got a couple great one liners and um I just think that like having that aspect of it because they didn't overplay that either. It was very short scenes. We basically had the FBI go back to him and he's like, well, we got to find this thing because we got to keep it out of, you know, we got to figure out who wants it, but we yeah. got to get it back. And then they sort of give, they have to go to clip because 
they got to get to Cliff and be like, all right, dude, you're hiding this thing. We know, but here's the reason why we're after you for it. We need to get that back and keep it out of the wrong hands. It didn't bother me to have the, that subplot because it wasn't, there wasn't too much of it. We, our main focus was Cliff okay, yeah, I mean, I'm and Neville and Jenny. But I agree. You know, I'm not saying that, that it, you needed to remove it or that it was a big bother to me. Like it still worked. Like you said, I'm just saying you could have removed it completely and the movie still would have worked on its face. That's all. True. But I mean, by the same token, you could remove the character of Bigelow completely from the movie and it doesn't change anything. No goodness. No, (laughs) I don't want to lose John Polito in this movie for the, for the few, for the few precious moments he's on screen. John Polito is just, because I mentioned how Timothy Dalton has this way of being incredibly charming while he's being just a terrible guy. Uh, and this and Simon Skinner are perfect for that. John Polito has this ability to just be greasy is the only way I can describe it. Like ev- almost every movie I see him in, he is so good at portraying this kind of just sneaky or underhanded or you don't quite trust him kind of guy whether it's like actually nefarious or just sort of like selfish and and greedy he's from philadelphia yeah yeah totally but no i mean hey it works because he just he just always feels like he has a film over him right there's just like this greasy film over his character it's still endearing Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because in in this case he's just greedy, and he's just like, no, I'm gonna get my money, and so the the comedy moments of him being like, don't worry, don't worry, it's all part of the show, and then they cut away and they come back to him later, and he's like, it's all yeah part it, of the show as his second fuel truck has exploded on his airfield. Uh, he unfortunately, like, and and then on top of that, as as no, much of a really douche didn't. as he was to Cliff and uh, PV, he didn't yeah. deserve to go out the way he did. Like, poor guy, poor but guy got he, folded I like mean, a taco. I mean, that's just you know. Sure, ugh. you know, I was sitting there thinking and, exactly and it, that. And this which, is, which by like, the way, is pretty, pretty gruesome hard. for a Disney but, PG. You know, film. Just speaking, it's just speaking of the actors in general. There were a lot of actors in this movie, aside from like Jennifer Connelly, <laughs> uh, Billy Campbell. Alan Arkin and everything. There were a lot of actors in this movie that you could just recognize from anything in that time period and today. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Great character actors in here. I mean, Paul Sorvino is Eddie Valentine. Which originally, I, I supposedly read, yeah. the rumor is that the the role was originally offered to Joe Pesci and he turned it down. Um he I did. could see he Pesci doing that, did. but I love Paul Sorvino, and I think he fits the tone of this movie more. I think if you're doing, if you if you are doing a a PG thirteen to R rated Rocketeer where it's a little grittier, Pesci might fit a yeah. little bit better because there Pesci has this boiling anger that's always there that 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 Sorvino can do. Sorvino can be very imposing. Seeing him in law and but order. He also can does. be sort of like a wholesomely imposing, if that makes any sense at all. Like, so 
he just he fits this so well and i and i absolutely loved Paul in, in everything it didn't matter what he was in uh but you're right there were so many good character actors in this i mean ed louder ed louder is fitch um is is one of those character actors that he pops up on something and just makes me smile and like in this He's the FBI agent that is firmly rooted in the 30s and using that 30s lingo. And it sounds so yeah. ridiculous. And I love, like, your buddy's being fit for like, Yeah, no, that's overcoat. what I mean. There were so many. And it's like, I think it's something that he FBI says. I, I'm pretty sure I captured that. They all felt right um, out of the 1930s. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. Tell me that the character uh, played by Robert Miranda named uh, Spanish Johnny, who was sort of like Sorvino's second in command. He does. I'm Tell me he didn't look right like now. a Xerox totally copy does. of a Xerox copy of, of Robert De Niro. Like he's, he's like, if somebody described yes. you Robert De Niro from memory and then drew it, you would get sort of a Robert Miranda in this movie. Um. And then, like uh, the characters of Malcolm Skeets and Goose, the three, the three on the uh, uh, were uh, Eddie Jones, William Sanderson, and Dan po- Don oh. Pugsley. Eddie Jones was in Lois and Clark: New Adventures of Superman. He was John Kent, and he's character actor in a bunch of other stuff. And William Sanderson, who is the one that I always, always remember from Blade Runner, he was J.F. Sebastian, and uh, he, the, those two are great. And you're right. It's just, it's just like all these character actors freaking, uh, Oh, what did, what was my note? Um, da, 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 da. Right. shoot. I lost it. Yeah. Oh, uh, the singer in the South seas club. Right. Melora Harden. If you've ever watched the office, you know that you've seen her face before. Um, she's been in a bunch well, of stuff. Harden and, was also uh, in dirty dancing. Who's the other one that it like so, made me do a TV double take. series. I mean, by the way, um so just so no one gets confused <laughs> yes um w- one of the fbi agents was played by uh, oh, wow. the guy huh. who was yeah, the we'll second person to play the shape in the halloween <laughs> series dick warlock um he was he was one of the he was one of the background fbi agents but yeah um, I, mean, I mean oh where is it um uh uh Howard, Clint Howard, Clint Howard has a blink and you'll miss a cameo. Three times if, since if you're not I paying attention, did you even notice no, Clint Howard? I in the didn't movie? know this. Clint I gotta, I gotta ask. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I did not realize it until this most recent watch through, and he is the person at the South Seas Club that comes up to um neville sinclair oh leans down goodness. and tells him you know like whisper something to him and then he gets up to leave it's clint freaking howard i was like how do you you get clint howard you don't even he doesn't even look up towards the camera i i, I just happened to catch like the top of his bald head and a little bit of his he looked up Apparently just enough that i could see his face i'm like oh, crap like, it's mark <laughs> it's cracked cracked me up yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They never said it. It was a he, like you yeah, said, blinky. Which a okay, they never gone, said it, but sure. And they give him a name. <laughs> I love right. when movies do that, and then there are other movies where somebody will have speaking lines, and they'll be like, "Man in car." Yes, and it's like okay. Um, 
and Tiny Ron, by the way, uh, is Lothar. Lo- I love Lothar in this. Um, he ah. was modeled after his, like the facial prosthetics that he wore were modeled after an actual actor um, from like the forties <laughs> who played sort of those big goons, even though the guy that they modeled him after was like five, nine and tiny Ron is he's like six, seven, I think seven foot, something like that. Like just big. And they obviously make him look even bigger in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, weird thing. I watched this. Uh, I watched this a couple of years ago. Um, when Disney plus <laughs> first launched, I remember being like the rocketeer. I haven't seen this in a decade or two. And I watched it. And for some reason, like the next night, I had a weird <laughs> dream in which somebody in my dream was stalking me that looked Ooh. exactly like Lothar from this movie, except their face was coal black. And it was it, it was a very odd, uh, like for some reason, I, can re- I can't remember any other dreams from the last like three years, really. But for some reason, that imagery is burned into my brain of like long hair and that face but but black like like charcoal and so yeah, yeah when i watched I, it this I, time around it was, it was, i had wow. a couple of flashbacks I mean, tiny was, was, was weird intimidating um, to me, that's for sure but sure well and he's intimidating even out of makeup um he he does have one one quick cameo shot in this out of makeup when the when um He's flying through the cornfield, and then they cut to the two yeah. kind of rednecks. Okay, says, yeah, I, I remember well, that big scene, gopher. and I remember the bigger it. one of those two rednecks is Tiny Ron. And uh, he also had a part in uh, Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. And I think the reason in that, I remember thinking that the goon he was playing was big, but he's standing next to Dan Marino, who's already like six four, six five, so he doesn't look. It's not like him stand. It's not like Tiny Ron standing around normal Hollywood types, where he just literally towers over all of them. Like, so yeah. I, I always forget just how big that guy is. But lo, like Lothar was such a weird character because he's sort of like he's this big, imposing yeah. guy. He's sort of indestructible, but yet. Uh, I don't know. There's something about him that's yeah. just strange. Um, it's kind of one of those characters like, I want to know more, but I also sort of like the mystery of just like, okay, he just, Neville Sinclair just has this guy on speed dial. And you can just call well, him up and be you like, know, Lothar. That goes back to the whole comic him. book. And he's too. just like a trained yeah. dog. He goes after whatever Sinclair guy that, that the main villain. So, and I was actually going to say, as far as it being a comic yeah, book, that's true. a comic book movie, this is exactly the type of origin movies I wanted for Batman, Superman, even Wonder Woman. We can't say the Flash or Green Lantern or any of them because they came in the 50s. But I want an origin movie that takes those three and goes back to this era. In the style of the Rocketeer. Sure. Okay, so here's a question for you. Uh-huh. So this movie is a Disney movie. It's PG. It's very, it was marketed as a family movie. It's very much a family movie, um, which I have no problem with whatsoever. I think it is great to have that. We don't have enough of this type of movie, which is family friendly, but also fun. Like I don't, I can watch it as an adult and it doesn't sure. feel like it's pandering or talking down at all. Like a lot of family friendly stuff can at times. 
Um, do you think had they gone the touchstone route and made it a PG better in the box film, office? Yes, that it would better have as a just better in the pick box it up office. And watch it movie? No, or not. Yeah, I'm not sure if it would have aged the same way or not. It's hard to say because how far do you go? The comic, but it's still mentioned that the comic isn't really that adult. Um, it's very pulpy comic book, but it is a little bit more like. Sure. Yeah. In well, in the comic, the character of yeah, Jenny well, is named Betty Page, and she's a pinup girl, basically, Betty Page. They changed it for the movie because Betty Page said, "No, you're not using my name," and they changed her from a pinup girl to an actress. But I mean, small changes like that, which I think yeah. is fine. I don't have a problem with, with a change like that. It doesn't fundamentally change the character in my mind. Um, and we haven't really talked about Jennifer Connelly yet, but I want, I want to get to her, but, uh, but I kind of want to follow through on this. This thought is like, I don't, it, it all depends on how PG 13 you go with it, how it ages. Um, Versus the PG kind of more family friendly because I think PG 13 maybe gives you a little more character leeway to, to well, I think, do a bit more, but at the I same time, this is just sort of a fun adventure movie. Like so you don't need deep characters. Uh, definitely a lot more nudity. Because I, I looked up what, what PG 13 means. Because I honestly, I've that never actually happened. known what PG 13, like what the rules are. And it just says that it may go beyond PG rating in theme, violence, nudity, sensuality, language, adult activities, or other elements, so long as it doesn't get into the R. So I think the Mafia and the Nazis definitely could have had more if they had gone to PG-13. Well. Okay. And basically, here's here's what I see as being different if they go PG-13 versus PG. Um, and... And all of it True. is very subjective because it's basically whatever the MPAA de decides on that given day, right? And they don't tell you what it is. That's why, you know, famously Kevin Smith would get Dogma back and they'd say it's X-rated. He's like, or NC-17. He's like, okay, uh, well, it's too violent. All the violence is off screen, but sure, whatever. And you have to change things and, and go there. So one thing that would change if this is PG-13 versus PG is... The gunfight at the end of the movie, which already is, you know, it's a pretty expansive yeah. gunfight between the mob and the FBI and the Nazis. Um, there would be, instead of it just being wildly firing Tommy guns towards each other, there would actually be shots of people getting hit. It, I think we, I think I saw one person actually like go down from a gunshot yeah. during the entirety of that fight. It was just sort of blanks firing from both sides. I think PG 13, you see some more people go down. Um, I think that you see in a PG 13 nudity is one that is really hard, right? Well, okay. If, if it went, that is so very much of like, that I mean, that scene with Timothy Dalton and Jennifer Connelly. It's so it, 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 been, it, you know. At first, I'm surprised they ahead. let Timothy Dalton's character use chloroform on Jennifer Connelly's character to get her back to his. I mean, it's a Disney movie. What the heck, Disney? What the heck? But in a PG-13 yeah, and... movie, that scene would have been way a little more gratuitous in the in the well 
basically spelling out that he's trying to rape her. In some ways, he and really what he's trying to do there is he's just trying to seduce her to get the information that he wants. Uh, see, I, he's not. I don't think at any point was his character going I to cross the line. I certainly he wouldn't cross the line. I mean, but he's going to do everything up until that to get the info that he wants. Because it started squeaking me out, and seriously, the entire time I'm sitting there, what the heck, Disney? What the heck? This is creepy. What the heck? Well, and but here's here's what makes that scene work in retrospect, though, is that from the moment she runs in from the moment that Jenny runs into Neville in the club as she's trying to get away. By this point, she's already she believes uh, Cliff and she runs into Neville. Yeah. And then he chloroforms her from that moment forward. She no longer trusts him. And so she goes, she goes through what she's going through with him as he thinks he's got the upper hand on her. He thinks he's got her still kind of wrapped around his finger and going to get her to do what he wants and eventually get the information that he's going for out of her. And she ain't buying it. And one of my notes was straight up. She's not buying his bull. Um, and but she oh, plays him, that. and that's that was, why we get that I, great line of hers. It's like I finally got my to play a scene. Yay, girl Sinclair. power! <laughs> and well, and that's just it. Like she's not, she's not just a damsel in distress. But for most of the movie, she's set up to sort of be that because, again, it's not her story. But I'm glad they didn't just make her like some, you know, arm candy or damsel in distress for it. Yes, Cliff wants to rescue her, but she yeah, clearly can handle herself no, uh, up, up until a point. Um, <laughs> she's not going to overpower Lothar. That's just unfortunately Neville Sinclair's got Lothar. Um, so that's sort of his trump card. Uh, but it's it's one of those where that scene, I can see it. Uh, and and I could see it in APG 13 wanting to go a little bit further, but I don't think it would ever go too much further than what it did because that wasn't that wasn't the character Sinclair and that wasn't his goal. He didn't have this like thing where he saw her purely as a way to get the rocket pack, and that's it. He was singularly focused on that rocket, and he didn't care about anything else. He was just going to use that, that scene in whatever general, he had at his still, disposal like said, to get to that information. Out of her to find Cliff. Getting sick, physically sick over it. Just because I I think they took they took that particular scene, and and that's actually a credit to Timothy Dalton, because he came off as a total creep. Like the the Mm -hmm. he was the exact opposite of James Bond there. Oh yeah, well and. He was, he was James Bond there, but he was James Bond from a different point of view. He was James Bond from a, this isn't a, um, this isn't consensual point of view. And I can see that as being, um, difficult to watch, but I think that again, as you said, is a credit to Timothy Dalton. And it's sort of what I was talking about earlier, where he can be incredibly charming, but sleazy with it too. And like his reciting of his lines and you know, you know 
that Neville Sinclair, the character, oh, totally. has used those exact moments to seduce women before, where he's said the lines from his movies and they've just fawned <laughs> over him. Unfortunately, he ran into the Neville Sinclair superfan who knows every line from every movie he ever did and can recall them. And on top of, so, so you add that layer onto the yeah. fact that she no longer trusts him. And now she's hearing this line and her brain is like, Hey, I know what that's from. Oh, it was, it really I know was. what this guy's doing. Uh, see, I like her. It, it's the, great. I, that's such a great to character talk about moment her in the for first her. Place. I loved uh, her in this movie. She was great. Yeah. I just love that. The, the character was great. Sorry. No, she's great. Oh, she, she Jennifer. Yeah. I mean, Jennifer Connelly is a, is a fantastic actor. And I, I, she has been since she was 16 and doing, uh, doing uh, legend, you know, here she is 20, 21 years old doing this movie. And you, she, not only that, but is there an actress at that if time it wasn't that for, fit for, the thirties Hollywood for Batman, uh, I said Michelle Pfeiffer. aesthetic better than Jennifer Maybe Connelly? Nicole Kidman. I mean, Kidman, perhaps, but there's something like there's something with Jennifer Connelly because there was this movie, and then um, about six sure. or seven years later, when she did Dark City, which had a similar aesthetic to it, especially for her character, where she's the lounge singer. Um, she just had that oh, yeah, look. Totally. There's something with the dark hair, her eyes, just the the way, yeah, oh, yeah, the way she can fit a dress of that era too. I don't know. She just like, she, she looks like she was plucked out of the thirties Hollywood into 1991 for this movie. And then you add in the layers of like, she's not just like, she loves uh, cliff and she loves him for the reasons that make sense. Like, yeah, he's kind of a doofus and yeah, he forgets stuff sometimes, but then he's, he's just, he's yeah. a sweet guy and nothing he does is ever like cliff never does anything yeah. malicious towards her. He's just like, he's a little wrapped up in what he's doing and forgets sometimes, well, but she doesn't hold that against him. And okay. Yeah. That's yeah. so when he, when he finally tells her, like she, she holds him accountable, but she doesn't, she yes. doesn't hold it against him. There's a difference. And, and it's very distinct and it's a very important difference. Like she wants him to be better. She wants him to get better about it, but she's not going to completely bust his chops just because he forgot something because he he does try to make it up to her and she doesn't we don't get that fake like uh forced drama yeah, I, of she's not going to believe him because of the one instance that happened earlier where he didn't tell her about what happened with the plane so now she's not going to listen to him about anything no when he tells her like look something's going on this is important and the look he gives her when he says if anything happened to you i'd just go completely mad she knows he means it and she knows this is important and she's going to believe him because he wouldn't lie to her about that type of thing. Like, yeah. That's where that connection and their chemistry was real because they got engaged and were together for five years. After this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so like the, the, just, the chemistry they had on screen was pretty, I mean, pretty good. Um, I did love her. She, she was very much for, for, especially for 1991. She was very much a, a powerful female in this movie which is actually another shocker considering it's Disney and it's 1991 and she wouldn't have a role like that again for 
you know what? I don't even know what she was in after it. I, I know the Hulk as Betty Ross in 2003, but I never really followed her career after that or, or before that rather. Yeah, I mean, she had done, uh, like I said, Dark City was 1998. Uh, I loved her in that. Um, I thought I, that's a criminally underrated, underseen sci-fi movie. Um, because it doesn't, it came out the year before The Matrix, but it's not an action sci-fi. It's it's more cerebral sci-fi. Um, so it's, a, it's one of those that's just, it can be kind of tough to follow. If you ever do watch it, watch the director's cut because the director's cut is a better it it sort of has the blade runner yeah. problem of yeah, the original theatrical the cut movies. had this voiceover <laughs> that kind of ruins a bunch of stuff and there's more subtlety okay. yeah in the uh, director's cut it's a little bit longer but they they set things up better but she had done uh i mean after this movie she did um uh let's see of uh higher learning out there mulholland falls she's pretty good in um, then Dark City before her big breakout uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, I've heard of that one. That is kind of a yeah. watch it once, never want to watch it again. Requiem for a Dream. Um, yeah. But she was also in Pollock. She was in A Beautiful Mind. Uh, all of this was before Hulk. Um, and so, you know, she went on to have yeah, quite that's... the career uh, based off of this. But to think that she's only 20 years old in this and it's the way she carries herself. She carries herself in this movie as somebody who is in their mid to late twenties, you know, four, five, six years older than she really is because the difference between like 2021 and 28, 29. Yeah. That's a big difference in sort of, in sort of like your development and maturity and who you are as a person. And you uh, could honestly, tell me that she was they were 27, 28, 29 years old in this movie. movie I 100% believe it. Fumbling and everything else. I couldn't believe it. That was the only unbelievable part of her entire acting in this movie was <laughs> she would fumble her lines or she would mess this up. I couldn't believe that because the character herself plus the actress just had this. Um, I'm trying to think of an actress that she would be. Um, um, oh, I just had it in my head. She, she was in. Uh, she was in the third Thor movie. Um, um oh my gosh i'm pulling a scott johnson here someone help me out please uh ragnarok uh no 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 but third sort of no the, the you're not thinking is, um, yes thank you thank you yes oh kate blanchett but I mean, well, Natalie Portman too. I mean, Natalie Portman is yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, but, there's a little there. But no, I, I, I was thinking uh, Kate Blanchett totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned how this movie was a kind of a box office bomb, and it's unfortunate. It was somewhere in thirty-five to forty million dollars in budget, um, which I have lamented that there aren't kind of these mid-budget. Um, action movies being made in theaters anymore. They're still yeah. happening, but the mid and low budget action movies kind of go direct to streamers, direct to video. That's sort of the the world they've ended up living in. Um, the one I can think of in the last, say, 10 years is like John Wick was that, 
right? John Wick is that mid-tier uh, action film that got a theatrical <laughs> release that did something um, and obviously went on to have three sequels. But, you know, the movie was that 35 to $40 million budget. Uh, it did balloon yeah. a little bit from the initial, I think, $25 million because one of the things they had to do was rebuild the Zeppelin at the end um, because they made that miniature. And then uh, the guy making it was like, you, know, you might want to might want to get a second one of these made in case something goes wrong with the first one. And the producer's like, no, 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 we don't have that sure. in the budget. And then sure enough, something went wrong with the first take and they had to pay to, to have another <laughs> one built. Um, but it had the unfortunate uh, opening weekend against Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And like, sure. In sure. name recognition alone, Robin Hood is going to beat out the Rocketeer in 1991. Hands down. Kevin Costner is a much more bankable star in 1991. Um, so I can understand, like, from Disney's aspect and the producer's side of things, I understand them wanting a name to put in this movie. Uh, uh, but I don't even think if you had Robin Kurt Williams. Russell as the Rocketeer. I'm just throwing a name out that was one of the names. Uh, Johnny Depp. I don't think that helps it at all, right? Because I don't think having that name, I don't think it does enough to push it over. Oh, totally. The, the kids' to crowd in 1991 is going to see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Secret of the Use. That was, that's the movie that's going to draw that crowd. So if, you're, if hooked, you have kids that were my age, your time. age at that time, we all wanted to see yeah. TMNT too. And we didn't know... Right, we didn't know the Rocketeer. It wasn't a thing we knew. Yeah, but TMNT was Hook was something we knew with Peter Pan. Robin Hood was something I was super into when I was that age. And so those were and and that's the bummer of it is it opened up to like just under ten million dollar opening weekend, which isn't terrible. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think uh, Robin Hood made like eighteen million and went on to gross four hundred million worldwide. This movie did like forty six something, just under fifty. Um, no. which definitely didn't turn a profit based on probably how much they spent on marketing either. Well, I know that so there's one. It's a bummer uh, because they could have gone more places with this. Um, plan for the third story arc in the comic and possibly a movie. Cliff would have met a character who was, quote, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. So basically, Cliff would have met Superman and they would have been in the same universe. <laughs> and there was oh, even that joke, uh, a couple of years ago when what if was being made that they wanted to have cliff cross over into what if um and and somebody the rumor that i heard was that somebody even did like a concept drawing of it with him and captain america and i think agent carter and feige was like no 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 i mean it's cool looking art but no he um, is a superhero but it would have been kind of cool to yeah. see because he's effectively a superhero it's a superhero Bad, but- comic book uh, without well, back in the 1930s, they would have been known as masked um, men. It wasn't until Superman, I know we talked, Batman okay. came around ahead, that they would have been called superheroes. He was most definitely a masked man. I mean, literally mm-hmm. and figuratively in that he literally went up against the FBI, the mob, and Nazis. How much more superhero than that does he get? So, so, the, rock, so the Rocketeer mm-hmm. is most definitely, I would argue, the first superhero. Oh, I know. Myself. No, he totally And is. that's why I'm saying I wanted, I legitimately want Disney, Marvel, whoever, DC, for the love of God, James Gunn, please hear this. 
if you're going to make movies and you're going to start with their origins, because let's face it, every four to five years we get superhero origins now, when we don't need them anymore, go back and make them literally... Like, okay, Wonder Woman was great. The only problem I really had was they moved her from World War II to World War One, But the fact that they brought her in... And she didn't really like they had her origin in World War One. And then at the end of the movie, she's in the modern era and Bruce Wayne figures out who she is and everything. That was great. Do that for do that and this and everything for Batman and Superman. Go back to his George Reeve origins where he leaps instead of flies. Well, I No, you don't. Yeah, but I need Well, okay, yeah, that's true. I need another Batman origin story, like I need another <laughs> hole in my head. Like, I just, I don't, I don't need that anymore. But now you said something real quick. I just want to, I just want to get clarification on this. You said you think that the Rocketeer is the first superhero. You mean by, okay, the comics came out in the year before I was born. But they're set in the 1930s. So from that perspective, the Rocketeer is literally, because Mm -hmm. most of the superheroes we know today came out, what like Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman came out in what they called the golden age of comics. The Flash... Sure. Same side. Same. Mm-hmm. Well, that was still uh, right around this okay, era. So Batman technically, no, no, technically, a year later, nineteen thirty-nine. Batman was Batman was nineteen thirty-nine. Superman earlier. was nineteen thirty-eight. Wonder Woman was nineteen forty-two. So the Rocketeer literally would have been there with Superman, probably a little sooner than Superman. Action, okay. if the comics and everything were made in the nineteen thirties, the setting, in my opinion, sets up Superman. In that, well, sure. Yeah, Phil, by the way, brings up a good point in the sure. chat. And if you're going Absolutely. by uh, perspective when the stories are set, right Zorro uh, would have been a superhero here. before all of them. So. so let me make my point. So from that perspective, to me, the Rocketeer, you know, I understand Zorro and everything, but talking specifically about the Rocketeer, he would have been America's first superhero. Because, I mean, he was already in the news as a Rocketeer, already had the secret identity. No one knew who he was, well, except the FBI, Mafia, and all that. No one knew who he was. He could literally go city mm-hmm. to city. You know, anywhere that there was a plane race or, or whatever, whatever that was, I think it was just an aerial show. But he could have gone wherever there's an aerial show, fought crime, stopped these Nazis, stopped the mob, and... I think it would have been a, a great. I, I mean, I haven't read the comics, so I can't talk about the to- comics specifically. But I think that that would have made a great TV show, for example. It could have been interesting. the The funny sure. thing with the movie is that the movie version of Cliff is a very yeah. reluctant hero. He he actually yeah. figures out pretty early on, I don't have skills for this kind of stuff. I need to give this thing back. Like he doesn't want it. He is willing to turn it in to the FBI, but and then he's kind of don't he's forced to use it again to help heroes. save people that matter to him. So there is that, which is why it could be an interesting character sure. study. But it you you have to have the right motivation for him to actually take on this role of the rocketeer well, yeah. and not try to give it to somebody even who maybe then, has even then it, more skill in that. Even then it doesn't not, necessarily have to be, you know, his background is as a pilot. The rocket. So it, it, it was just interesting that someone just adopts. Yeah. 
yeah, in fact, there was um, rumor, because there have been rumors of a sequel for a while. In fact, initially, a couple of the uh, people right. that signed on to make this movie signed for a potential trilogy, but because it didn't do well at the box office, that never happened. Um, they talked about doing a sequel for a long time. There was a point uh, within the last five to ten years where yeah. they were going to have um, a reimagining of it with uh, a former Tuskegee Airman. Now I can found, tell you there uh, the backpack. I, I can uh, tell that you was that an interesting there is idea. a Disney Junior series. Uh, it just never, never took off for some reason. I have, I have watched it. I have seen. I have uh, watched it. It's that there is horrible. that. I have. I have no idea. It, it pretty much just follows. Like uh, a, okay. Um, his grandson around, like Billy Campbell, actually voices Cliff in the series. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and Frank Welker is in it, and Maurice Lamarche is in it, and, oh, nice. and it, it, well, Charlie Adler is in it. it. It's not a bad series. It, it's a faithful. It's at least faithful to the Rocketeer as imagined by Disney verse, at the very least. Also, let, let oh, let's be real. If you're doing something animated, there's a hat of names that you have to pick. Like, seven of them. And those names are Maurice LaMarche, Phil Lamar, Charlie Adler, Frank Welker, D. Bradley Absolutely. Baker. Like, it's contractual obligation. I, if you're I've making something meet, animated, I've some of those Charlie names Adler, are going to appear. Actually. You just don't, you have no choice. Uh, yes. I, yes. But so, yeah. I, uh, Billy West is another one that shows up in a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Billy West is great. No, I, I, I dig that. My nephew. I mean, it's Disney Junior, right? So it's obviously aimed at a specific audience. But uh, as long as they, you know, yeah, yeah, as long as long as uh, there's nothing wrong with stuff that's Whereas aimed I at have kids. An I mean, some of that stuff can be entertaining. I don't have kids, so I don't really have an excuse to watch it. The but, cartoon versions um, and all those little kids' cartoons. I don't. No, no. I don't know. From what I hear, I don't know if I'm emotionally prepared to watch Bluey. I hear from from friends that have friends that are parents and friends that he are would grandparents. Cry, but, but honestly, about it. Would also like, I don't know if I could handle that. Because they might, purposely make cry their dad angry, movie. and it's hilarious um, to watch. But yeah, mo- moving on, moving on. Um, yeah, uh, there were there was oh you know um <laughs> at the end of the movie, Eddie Valentine, uh, Paul Sorvino's character, you know he switches, he switches sides. Spoiler alert for a thirty-two-year-old movie. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> He switches side, you know. Uh, Timothy Dalton's character says a line, and he yeah. says something like, "You know, I, I may make illegal money, but at least it's American money or something." And, and to me, that to tie it back into the whole superhero thing, it reminds me of the time Marvel and DC did a crossover in 1997, with the Joker siding with the Red Skull. And at the end of the comic, the Joker finds out that the Red Skull is a Nazi, which you know. Even for a lunatic, that should have been con- common sense. And the, the Red Skull's like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Why are you switching sides? Blah, blah, blah. A- and the Joker says, I may be a criminal lunatic, but I'm an American criminal lunatic. And, and that actually ties into real life because the... the <laughs> yeah. And the Italian mob... Yeah, that like, quite like, honestly I, I, is real. The mob, the mob did on, not. On uh, my family, and I can tell you, the, right the mob end, didn't I've play with Nazis. Types of connections, and that's the most I'll say. I, I, I know family, and that's, and yeah, they did not like Mussolini, at all. 
mostly because he went after mostly because he went after Sicilian families, but they did not like oh. Mussolini, and Jewish mobsters did not like Adolf Hitler at all. So the greatest single ally, the FBI, yeah, I can't either. But so the single greatest, single greatest ally, can't the FBI that. and law enforcement had during World <laughs> War II, surprisingly, was the mafia. Yep. Yeah, which was a nice, like, it was, again, that was something sure. that, as a 10-year-old, when I saw this for the first time, didn't register with me. But then when I came back and watched it later on, See, I'm like, watching, that's a nice, just, a, a nice added little bit of detail to have, here's here's Eddie Valentine, and he's just like, he's a mobster and all this, but then he finds out that he's working, yeah. that Neville Sinclair, who he's working for, is in league with the Nazis, I, and he's like, uh-uh. No, homie, don't play that. I am not involved with Nazis and yeah. uh, and flip sides. And then we that get, you know, the, the mob part. and the FBI. I, well, that was, okay, and the yeah, that was the greatest part of, for me. The whole uh, German soldiers. Great. Just how Timothy Dal Dalton's character landed on the Hollywood land side sign. There's actually a historical. Re that's actually kind of a historical reference in that. Yes. Originally, the Hollywood sign was meant to be for the Hollywood land housing development the sign then got yep something like that but yeah, what, they actually what happens, took it down it, it got destroyed down the land well, part, what ended what? up happening was the sign 40, actually did 40 something in real life and the executives of all the movie movie theater uh, uh studios and everything actually paid the los angeles well the, the hollywood land also got absorbed in the city of los angeles at the same time so the movie uh, studios paid the LAPD to rebuild the sign mm -hmm. and stipulated in the contract that it could not say Hollywood land anymore, which is. Yeah, what, what I love it. Is, yeah, they didn't want to. Yeah, be that, that was, that was great. What I love at the end of the movie is when they're Hollywood. in the diner and they're reading. And the I love that. And they and uh, PV just happens to read the article about neville's death that was a nice car <laughs> oh he was great yeah I, I again we didn't we didn't say enough about how good alan arkin was in this movie because he was just phenomenal he was he just became that character of pv and he was so so good throughout it one thing i, I gotta mention this because we haven't talked about it at all but 1991 the visuals for this movie good not great they they they've done stuff better since like we have improved our blue screen green screen technology uh, um so that composites uh look a little bit better but overall this movie still looks very good for what they were trying to do because really if you think about it this is sort of doing superman the movie all over yeah. again where you have to you yeah. have to convince people that this guy can fly with just a rocket strapped to his back and a, and a rudder that's on his helmet. Um, and they did a very good job with that. And part of it is because they did a lot of miniatures mm -hmm. and they had a miniature rocketeer and they did some stop motion for some of the aerial stunts that were, they just weren't going to be yeah. able to pull off with a rig or wires or anything like that. And I think that's kind of fascinating that they, that they did that because yeah. 
I, uh, I defy the, you on to Amazon find for where whatever the stop reason. Is. It said that my my and most computer, of it you're not going to run a Mac Mini M1. It said that it could run everything in HDMI and everything, and yet I still had standard def, but it still looked phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it looks really good. Uh, I think overall, you know, there's part like you can obviously yeah. tell the uh, the stuff inside the South Seas Club. Um, he's on a rig, the way he's moving around the room, but that's fine. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't mind that because it's sort of what I expect. That's what I expect this type of movie to look like. But a lot of the stuff that was outdoors, where they do the stop motion and they would do the blue screen and the, yeah. the like, it it just for 1991, it looks great. And I'd really love to see it done today uh, with the technology that we have today and the fact that films have been swinging back to um, practical effects with, sure. with um, extending and enhancing instead of doing fully CG everything. I'd be curious to see how that would go and how they would do that now because Obviously, you'd be I able to get the fidelity you, up. To, to touch um, on that, and to, to but I wouldn't want to lose some of the charm of this today. Had. I guess it's, it's my turn um, to turn the questions on you. I guess I would ask, who would you who would you uh, cast as Cliff? Sure. Yeah. Oh, who would I cast as Cliff? I mean, I like the idea well, not of even it being a, kind of a known name. Necessarily a known name, um, maybe so just that, a lesser that makes it name. Tough. Like I would automatically rule out like Keanu Reeves. Um, I mean, well, I mean, besides that, maybe maybe he could be Pete, this this era's Peavy. Well, no, he's too old anyway. Um, Peavy for me, I don't think Keanu Reeves fits a Peavy. Peavy needs to be. Keanu's yeah. a little too uh, yeah, that makes sense. relaxed, too laid back, too sort of, um, I almost want to say hippie-ish, but like, you know, uh, Robert Downey like Jr. would absolutely go with the flow. Hours. He doesn't really fit PV for me. Um, oh, man. Yeah. That... Well, I mean, yeah, I'd rather have Robert... cast Howard Hughes. That's a pretty yeah, I'd, I'd rather or you could get Leo have, to do it uh, Robert Downey again. Jr. If you want, you could even. He's already played you know, Howard if, Hughes. If once. you really want that crossover, you could even make it Tony Stark or Howard Stark. Howard. Stark, um, if you're going to set it in the 1930s. Yeah, absolutely. If Disney was doing it today, they would make it Howard Stark. Gary sure. Oldman. They would Gary somehow Oldman plant him in uh, in the uh, the MCU ancillary. Um, as soon as I. Okay, I like where your head's at there. And if you couldn't get that, I can. Sorry, I can see Gary Oldman being Robert Downey Jr. um, because he's Johnny Depp. He's got that energy. Yes, yes, that's perhaps I could actually see Johnny Depp being Eddie Valentine because he could have a lot of fun with playing Eddie Valentine because he wouldn't. You don't just want somebody to do it the same way that they did it in this movie, right? So Johnny Depp is going to play an Eddie Valentine that's very different from Paul Sorvino's. So. Right. See, now there's one that you would not see. See? You would not 
picture him playing the bad guy, right? Because Keanu Reeves is just such a good person. Uh, yeah, that's um, uh, because then you also got that cast could maybe Jenny, work. And then I guess I'm the still stuck is, on who I think Jenny, could play Cliff. I'm just pony up it's and a tough one. Page. It's because she was literally based on Betty Page, because that's who Dave Stevenson uh, was dating at the time. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you do uh, if you do as uh, Betty or, or Jenny. Um, I think you can kind of go either way on that because I don't think it's I don't think true. it's as important. In fact, yeah, true. In some ways, I think it's a little distracting like to have her named Betty Page. Model actress. Um, sure. Because it's one thing if you have a if you have a side character that's in like two scenes. That's Howard Hughes, right? An actual person that was alive. That's one thing. But when your female lead yeah. in the film is playing a character named Betty Page. That's going to distract from the rest of kind of what's going on. You know, the first name that popped into my head when you asked, I don't know that I like it, but it was just the name that popped into my head was um, Chalamet. And I don't know why, but something about him feels like it would fit this kind of not quite superhero, but then at the same sure. time could sort of pull off being a little superhero-ish. Um, okay, I'm joking. When, I don't know that I like it, but that right. was just the name. Like when you asked me for whatever reason, that name came into my head. Sure, it'd be curious. Okay, it'd be curious to see. I'm joking when this, I say uh, this, but it's doing a callback to some of the original actors that they were, were thinking of. of this Harrison movie. Ford as Cliff. No, in, in all seriousness, I was actually thinking Ryan Reynolds, but I was calling. <laughs> I was thinking that Harrison Ford it, was actually one of the original actors that Disney wanted. So, sure. Sure. Uh, obviously, because he was a name they knew at the time. Now, if you made this movie in 1979 sure. to 1982, you put Harrison Ford in My it, only problem was with 1991 was that it would have like been. Like that era, Harrison Ford could play this Rocketeer great. Sure. Sure. Well, and that's sort of, I mean, it is what they were kind of going for, right? They, they wanted to ride the coattails of that just a little sure. bit. So um, let's see. I do have a couple of clips I want to play real quick. Um, oh, uh, one other visual thing that I love yeah. was there's the shot where he climbs up and he stands in front of the flag and he does that pose on uh, the, the spotlight hits him and it is straight oh. off of the collected, uh, basically the cover of the Rocketeer number one, um, that pose. The difference is I think on the comic I want to say it was the collected graphic novel. Um, the background is like a target instead of a flag, but I've seen it also oh, done with cool. a flag. And I actually have a version of it done by one of my favorite artists, JJ Cott did. Nice. Um, where it was called The Bounty Hunter. And it was Boba Fett in that same pose. I got probably like 10 or 12 years ago. But I and, love and that, that they recreated superhero that pose in the movie. Uh, uh, I will say real me. quick before you play the, the clips um, and everything. I know that the creator of the Rocketeer, yep, yeah, exactly. uh, Dave Stevenson, has said that he was 70% happy with this movie. There were things that he would have changed to make it 100%, but he did like overall the movie. Yeah, because I had heard that in an interview, because he sadly passed away a few years ago, but I had heard in an interview somewhere along the line um, post 2000 that he was, he was pretty happy with 
with everything with the movie. Um, yeah. That he liked the tone but of I mean, it, if... that he liked it, captured the feel of it, and obviously the look um, that they were going for. Uh, that it it was yeah. He was pleased. And, and I mean, if and Timothy Dalton the, said the, the that he really enjoyed happy, working with Joe Johnston, and he really liked you've making done a this movie. Dang good job. Yeah, although truthfully, if you're if you're not adapting, oh, uh, if you're adapting true. anything other than Alan Moore, making the creator happy we'll, is we'll is talk about that off easier. air specifically. But um, true, because <laughs> so there's some that. stuff coming uh, up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so uh, so audio clip wise, um, there's a few in here that are that are pretty fun. I just love. This first one I love when uh, it's after he's had kind of his first flight in yeah. the suit, which the visual of the Rocketeer, I absolutely love. I love that jacket that he wears and the the pat, like the way it fits over top of all the straps and everything. It just it's such a cool, unique look and that helmet. And I'm so glad that the other thing that Joe Johnston fought yeah. for, aside from um billy was the helmet and to have the helmet look like the comic book it's, it's a great disney wanted to make it look a little bit different and he fought for that and it, it's better because of that because that helmet is iconic yeah and right after that first flight he ends up kind of in that swampy area and pv comes up and unstraps the helmet and <laughs> cliff cliff is just breathing heavy sitting there and his yeah. his reaction is just i like it I love that. That for me was just oh perfect. And now I have that as a sound clip that I can use pretty much whenever I want. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. Um, Alan Arkin, as we said, was great. And I got a few of his uh, one-liners, um, <laughs> including uh, use of one of my favorite insults. Uh, I think ever. Yeah, you'd be halfway to Kansas yeah. by now, you chowderhead. Chowderhead. Chowderhead is so yeah, good. That's... And that little chuckle right at the beginning, too. That just... Yeah. I just love that. And then and then when uh, when the plane blows up or catches on fire or whatever, and he's just... Well, that's the end of that. He says, all right. There's three years down the train, down the drain. Who, who cares? Yeah. Um, also, calling uh, calling him a hood ornament. <laughs> I, I mean, he wasn't... He wasn't wrong. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. <laughs> it's perfect. It's so good. No, he, he really wasn't wrong at all. And then you get that moment of just imparting some old man wisdom. You got a good thing going on with that girl, Clifford. But if she flies a coop, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be your fault. Yeah. Again, not wrong at all. No. And, and that that harkens back to what I said. That you know when I was going, eh, when you said said that she wasn't really harping on him that was the scene i was i was gonna say that you know she kind of left in the middle of him talking about his stuff and he was very he paid attention to what she was doing but he didn't really pay attention Mm -hmm. right and she wanted him to be better yeah but she also knew that he was capable of being better yeah so um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, those were the things I got from Alan Arkin cause they were just, they were just great. Neville Sinclair lines in the movie. Um, you know, you got, uh, this was one I really liked. Well, never let it be said. Neville Sinclair failed to bring down the house. <laughs> there, there's that charm, right? Yes. That's Timothy Dalton charm right yes. there. Uh, 
I love referencing like in the comic books. That's so good. Yeah. That right there. Because I just rewatched Hot Fuzz recently. That is such a Seymour Skinner moment. <laughs> the way he says that. Where he's like like in the comic books. It's the same voice. I loved it. Yes. I love that. Um this was a a, a fun moment where the, he's fighting. They they start fighting on the Zeppelin and he hits him and he says, "Where's your stunt man now?" I do my own stunts. A great which is great life. because yeah. it's it's a joke. Yeah, it's a it's a great joke for the character in general. Yeah. But then also it's a good meta joke because Dalton famously did his own stunts as Bond. Yeah. Um when when he's listing off his qualities. Spy. Saboteur. Fascist. All of the above. He just gets more and more sinister every word that comes out of his mouth. Yeah, he does. And, and fascist, I should oh. say, is is a great foreshadowing of his role as Rassilon in Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Ha, ah, I knew yeah, I would get... That's very true. I knew I'd get a Doctor Who reference somewhere. <laughs> um, here's it's it's a little tough to hear but here is the moment or one of the moments where he uh he goes into that german uh accent um plus it's just a it's just a funny line and again this is a movie i think if it's a pg-13 movie you maybe don't have this type of one-liner I, it's hard to say um because they might have done it a little bit differently but i love this is uh everything about you is a lie it wasn't lies jen it was acting. It was acting. It's got just that little bit of German, uh, German accent speaking English in there. It cracked me up. And this is the one I remember this from when I was a kid, the first time I watched it with my dad. And we both laughed out loud when he's walking away and he turns back to Eddie and he just says, Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> For no reason whatsoever. <laughs> It's October, yeah, and he's but but because he's Eddie Valentine, he's got to say that, and it was so good. Um, let's see, uh, what have I got here? Um, we had the hood ornaments. Uh, Your buddy's getting fitted for a pine overcoat. <laughs> pine <laughs> overcoat. I don't even know if that was slang at that time. <laughs> I, I don't think it I was. really don't. It just the, what that sounds like to me is it sounds like somebody who's trying to sound cool using slang wrong. Uh, no, that's what I'm hearing. No, now. apparently it is actually slang for a coffin. Huh. Well, this is the only place I've ever heard it is in yeah. the Rocketeer. <laughs> uh, he also said, Alcatraz is your new digs. Alcatraz Ooh. is your new digs, which just kind of made me chuckle. Um, I love, we, we talked a lot about Howard Hughes as the character here, but, but like, he's got some, like this, this is great. Thanks to the diligence of the FBI, this particular vacuum cleaner will not fall into the wrong hands. <laughs> Terry, Terry O'Quinn is great. Yeah, he really was. Um, you know, I, I have this now on my soundboard. I can use whenever I want. Tell him Howard Hughes said so. <laughs> Out of context, that's even funnier. Yeah. Um, I The Spruce Goose, which again, as a kid, I didn't understand this the the joke of this my dad actually had to kind of clue me in on it um because he grabs onto the model and it's the spruce goose and it flies it glides off and just the reaction from howard hughes and again it's one of those things that like 
This only works in a movie, and it only works in a movie like this. The son of a bitch will fly. <laughs> they take they take a moment to cut yeah. back to him and give like this long moment for him to say that, and it just cracked me up. It made me laugh so much. And finally, the last one, and it's Paul Sorvino, and uh, it's just because um, I don't know, again, that this would make it into a movie now. Uh, but he's uh, he just yells, Lousy <laughs> and that's it. Um, it. It's one of those where it's a it's a it's an insult to, to Germans. Um, yeah, but it's also like he's he's only saying it because they're Nazis. Although at that time it was anybody German was a Nazi, according to you know certain people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like. 1991 you could get away with saying that i don't know if you put that in a script now i think if you put it although in... setting it in 1930s you kind of can right that, that's like... about what i was about to say yeah um by the way this movie was the big reason why joe johnston directed uh captain america the first avenger yep um this was the movie that kind of got him into that because he could do this aesthetic really well and that's part of why the budget was what it was as well is you're doing a period piece so you can't have you can't just go get any vehicles. You have to go get vintage cars. You have to, you know, do do certain things with costuming and all of that, which makes the the production that much more expensive. So, but it works. It works here, and we haven't mentioned it yet. I got to before we end. I have to mention the music. What did you think of the music in this movie? It worked for the music for the movie. I believe it was the movie music director or something's first movie. In fact, um, so it's James Horner. Right. did the music for this movie and um i i very much like james horner now he has had in the past um people complain that he reuses music a lot or reuses music yeah, works, works. um he does get he does get some similar stuff but i mean this is a guy who he did the music for titanic for the mask of zorro spider-man for no way home um he uh oh. yeah um and the amazing which the movie we, which is the movie we were uh, originally going to do well. <laughs> yeah um 100 and 172 composer credits for him ah. before he passed away in 2015 um he he did i mean just just all sorts of no, stuff this I, was yeah, not his first movie yeah, uh, looking looking at it, I mean, he did uh, Glory. He did the music for. Yeah, um, you know he he had done done some stuff, but uh, Cocoon: The Return. Um, he was somebody who early on uh, would get brought in to do like some sequels and things like that. But he did the music uh, he was for the conductor Aliens. in Star Trek Two. Um, yeah. Yep, Commando was was his work. Oh, he did Cocoon. I take that back. So, but like. He'd been around for a little while. He did some really good stuff. This, for me, though, I think this might be my favorite score of his because it's got that adventure um, um, that melody, and there's something about the music for this. Maybe it's because I saw it when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, but it's got this feel to it that is old Hollywood adventure sure. serials. I was going to say, for me, it would have been The Land Before Time. I was also six years old when I saw those movies. So 
kids movie. I'm a big, big kid at heart. So movies like that stick with me specifically from the music to the quotes to you know the tiny little things. But as for action movies, um, yeah, he he totally would have a place on a on a Mount Rushmore, if you will, alongside Hans Zimmer and John Williams and everything. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when you've done the music for Star Trek yeah. and Commando and, you know, Aliens and An, an American Tale, yes. he did the music for that. Like, yes, the guy is uh, just a varied, a very, a varied career. The Land Before Time. So he worked with Don yeah. Bluth. He did the music for Field Yeah, I'm of looking Dreams. at his stuff right now like, and it's amazing. You know, And I would have been remiss if we didn't mention James Horner and mention this music because the, for me, the theme, the Rocketeer theme is one that gets in a lot of my yeah. playlists of like movie soundtrack score music that I like to put on and play when I'm, you know, when I'm doing some writing or I'm doing some researching or I'm doing something where I don't want like I want music that has no lyrics in it. So when I'm reading things, when I'm writing things, yes. I'm not getting distracted by the lyrics. And so that ends up either being some lo-fi stuff. I'll put on some like electronica, some techno. Uh, but I also listen to a lot of film scores and Horner gets a lot of play in that. Um, and the Rocketeer theme almost always pops up um, because I just love, I love that theme. And I love the music in this. It has that feel, you know, they were going for that Indiana Jones feel and it has that John Williams Indiana yeah, Jones really type did. feel it, to it, the music. It, the music was phenomenal throughout the movie. It, it, when they were in the lounge, you could feel the 1930s vibe just through the music. So, oh, yeah. yeah honestly, well. I, I'm genuinely surprised this movie didn't um, have a bigger... I mean, like you said, though, I mean, it went up against Terminator 2, Robin Hood, Hook. I mean, it went up... Some, Silence of the Lambs was out at the time. It was a it was it unfortunately had the bad luck of being out at the same time as really great movies. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, that that happened because like this is a movie that deserved yeah. better than it got at the box office. Is it perfect? No, but it is a movie that today you can sit down with I did, you can sit down with your eight-year-old nephew. I can sit down <laughs> with my, yeah. And I can sit down with my nearly 70 year old father and we like, yeah, anybody can sit in and just enjoy this movie. There's nothing, um, there's nothing too far in any direction for it. It's not too geared at kids to be yeah. unenjoyable for adults, but it's not too adult to go over the kids heads. Could you, you know, if you did it today, it might get a little darker. It might get a little grittier, which could be unfortunate. The action might be a little bit better. I think even Joe Johnston today is sure. much more capable as an action director than he was at this point. He was still, he was still, you know, learning um, at at this stage in his career. But you can like the bones of of his ability as a director are there, and it's un, kind of yeah. sad that he hasn't done more. Like he did this, he did Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Um, October Sky. He did Jumanji. Um, yeah, Jumanji is is pretty fun. Captain America we mentioned. Um, but he hasn't done a ton since then, and I'm not entirely sure. Well, what, I would imagine because um, I think Wolf he's Man very capable. Something to do with that so. too. I mean, that was no. It wasn't great. I mean, no. but but honest, honestly, if I were redoing great. this movie um, today, I would keep it PG. I wouldn't even go PG thirteen. Absolutely, keep it PG. 
you know, I, I wouldn't. I mean, these days, these days though, you could easily make it PG 13 and it feel sure, like a PG movie. Sure. It wouldn't be that would hard just, to do. Um, in fact, a lot of this yeah. would end up PG 13 these days. Uh, but with, what I, what I, what I mean more is stuff, I would definitely so. still keep it kid friendly. You know, cause like you said, it, it's kids friendly, but it's not too kid friendly. My eight year old nephew did sit down with me, watch it. He, he enjoyed more the, you know, punching, throwing action scenes. He is eight years old. So he's going to enjoy those scenes more sure. understandable. You know, I've, I've watched captain America first Avenger with him. Mm-hmm. He absolutely loves captain America. So there you go. But I like the more adult scenes. You know, I, I think the, the scenes with Timothy Dalton and, and Jennifer Connelly, in my opinion, did go a little too far. But I can understand why they're in the movie at the same time. So I, I, I honestly, I wouldn't yeah. change. I wouldn't even change the music or anything, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, this is a movie, honestly, it, it's, what, 32 years old? I'm turning four. It's the feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the feel of fun that this movie has. And that's, that's the thing. It captures a yes. feeling of fun and adventure without having to stray too far. That's why, I mean, they were trying to emulate yeah. uh, Indiana Jones. They were trying to emulate that type of film. Like if, if and I, had I think this... that it could work. Um, it's tough. Sure. It, it, it would be tough to do these days without sure. it coming off as being derivative unfortunately um but it's it's one of those there where i just feel like it should have done better it deserved Uh, better i know that for me personally if i had to name two uh, you know take batman out of the equation just for reasons of bias if i had to name two movies that were my absolute favorites looking back on them now in 2023 if i had to name two of my favorite movies from the early 90s it would be the rocketeer and hook. I mean, I'm probably well, okay. Going if, yeah, if I you know if I, if I expanded the list to top five, and, and it's no particular order really either, I would definitely include the three Ninja Turtle movies, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because I actually saw that. That's the funny thing you talked about how this movie had to go up against Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two and everything. That was the movie I saw in the theaters. Yep. Even though, it, even though, oh, yeah. as we've established oh, within this was... show, I never saw the first one at the time. I had seen two in the theater, which makes no right. sense, but that's what you... Because I can remember all the Pizza Hut and everything. I think The Rocketeer had a tie-in with McDonald's at the time. Yeah. Yeah, most Disney stuff did. Yeah. Yep, yep, I'm looking at it right that now. That was pretty yep. normal. Or maybe it was Burger King or something stupid like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, but it's it's a fun movie, and it's a fun movie without feeling... I never get the feeling when I'm watching this, like, oh, this was right. completely tailored to kids, but it was definitely uh, nudged in that direction where they could have had it be... Um, slightly older like older kids right i'm not even talking like adult but like 16 you know 14 to 16 year old kind of demographic whereas they were going for you know 10 10 to 13 sort of where they were aiming that's why i said that if Um, we could go back and i mean yeah we've had too many origin movies but if we could go back and do origin movies for the big three this is the style i would want them done in 
Yeah, I I dig this style quite yeah. a bit. I'm I'm kind of a sucker for it. So, um, but yeah, that's the Rocketeer. It it's streaming on Disney Plus. If you haven't seen it before, um, give it yeah. a watch. It's an hour and forty five minutes long, and it's worth it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's just it's got great music, great adventure. It looks you know it looks like a movie from the early nineties. Um, but that's not a bad thing at all. Uh, it's very it's very fun. Um. Now next week I start uh, I start Yay! everybody's favorite month of shows. Cage Palooza begins next week, and I cannot wait. And we're kicking it off with a doozy. Ooh. We're kicking it off with Face Off. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait to watch. I love Face Off. I saw Face Off in the theater. Um, I I do not yeah. think of this movie as anything more than it is, and I and it just makes me it makes me smile every time because it's the most ridiculous thing going, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So you're definitely going to want to come back and check out Face Off. Um, I also am going to be doing Renfield this year um, for Cage of Palooza. <laughs> Look, it has been very difficult for me oh, to go I can imagine. all these months without watching it. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's worth it. Even. So I have suffered. Even I've seen suffered it for the next few weeks. <laughs> um, and then some more fun uh, Nick Nick Cage stuff after that to to round out uh, August. So starting next week, face off with Melanie from uh, nice. Made You Watch a podcast, which is I think going to be starting back up soon. I know when I had uh, Adam Mock, her co-host, on a few weeks ago, he said that they were working on getting started back up with that again. Um, which is a fun show because they do similar to this where they, the two of them make each other watch movies they haven't seen yet, but movies that are like, she's about 10 ah. to 15 years younger than Adam. So they're very different kind of demographics. And so she's making him watch the movie she grew up with and he's making her go back and watch some of the stuff that he grew up with. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So I've had them both on before, um, but it's going to be fun to have Mel back. And talking about face-off. So Cage Palooza kicks off next week. I can't wait. But uh, thank you so much for being here this week. And I'm glad here. that you got to see The Rocketeer. And now you can <laughs> you can be part of the, the cool kids club um, that knows what this movie is yeah, and, uh, think... and how great it is. <laughs> and I can't say Happy Valentine's Day to anybody anymore without hearing it in the voice <laughs> of Timothy Dalton. Yeah, it's, it's one of those lines that's going to be iconic. Um, yeah, no, this, this was a great movie. I, it, I'm glad I finally got to see it. Good. Um, do you have any uh, any projects or anything that you're working on? Uh, nothing you want to for plug, me personally. Uh, as long as I, got you I just want to take a moment to to say to support the SAG Union and the Writers Guild and everything. Um, I know a lot of people have been asking questions. Just super quick. Do not cancel your Netflix, Max, or Disney Plus subscriptions. Keep watching those movies, and I'll tell you why. The more you watch them, and go see Barbie and Oppenheimer. You know what? Take them both in as a matinee. Go watch both, and I recommend watching Oppenheimer, then Barbie. That way you get the sadness out of the way and you see the happy. But uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. simply because the more people that see those movies right now, the more the writers have and the actors have power. Basically, the reason the writers are, are, are striking is because yep. studios want to replace them with AI, and we can all see how horrible that would be. They don't get enough support in the writers' rooms. And they don't work enough, realistically. Uh, the re and 
as a writer, that that's important to me on that aspect. On the other aspect, you got the actors mm-hmm. who, guess what, folks? They aren't all millionaires and billionaires. They all can't be John Travolta and, and Johnny Depp and, and all of them. To get health care, you have to make a minimum of $26,000. And a lot of them don't make that. So they don't have health care. And with streaming, we're in what's now called the streaming age, where movies will go to streaming sometimes before they go to theaters. And actors and writers both aren't making enough money off of the streaming services for them to get the health care and everything. So don't cancel Netflix. Go see the movies. Help the writers fight back against the studios. If you see a pit, don't. Um, there, there are certain rules for like influencers and, and, and TikTokers and everything. I'm not going to get into those. But basically, if you're in, in an area where writers and actors are striking, get if you can, get them a pizza. Get them a case of water. Get, get just help in any way that you can so that they can get back to making stuff that we love sooner. Otherwise, we're going to watch more reality TV. And no one wants that. And they're not striking right. because they are greedy. They're striking for yeah. the benefit of yeah. all of the people as part of the yeah. Writers Guild. Yeah, that, that's why I said, you know, they're not all uh, they're not all billionaires. They and even then, the billionaires are still striking because they want their fellow yeah. actor to make more money so that they can have health insurance, so that they can make money to eat. And I think that's important to everyone. So, like I said, go see those so, movies. Continue watching stuff on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, just don't really post about it, which I know is hard for some people, but you don't want to give the studios free publicity. So definitely, uh, yeah, those are, those are good things. Um, I think the strike is important and, uh, I definitely am not a member of either the guild or SAG-AFTRA, but I stand with them. Uh, and hopefully everything can get resolved and they can they, they can get the studios to the bargaining table and get some stuff figured I mean, out so we can get back to having I mean, my family uh, more dates back content. in Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania, Coke and Coal Strikes with 1910 and 11. We're a strong union family. So any union I will stand with 100%. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for being here this week and uh, and thank you for you know sitting down watching this movie yeah, and coming to talk with me about it because it was a lot of fun and uh i'm just glad that i got to uh to show you this movie and you oh actually travis it. there so, is one more thing that super I super can... fun so people have uh, people have actually come up to me and i know i've teased you about it a lot people actually want my true feelings on season of the witch halloween 2 here's what i'll say folks or three three sorry three yeah three, three. here's what i'll say if they had left off halloween 3 from the title fine movie fine and dandy great movie but the fact that they had to tack on halloween and try to tie it in with mike myers and everything and they didn't even do that it's a horrible movie so i will counter that and that you are not incorrect however here's the thing halloween 2 no it really didn't didn't need to exist it wasn't the original idea and the the story of right. Michael Myers never needed to continue. Right. And John Carpenter didn't want it to, but he didn't really yeah, have control it, it, over that. And I so believe the original idea was Halloween 2. And Halloween 3 was 
yeah, Halloween three was his idea to try and like steer it right, back towards right. the anthology that he had originally envisioned of telling different stories based around Halloween. But by then it was too late. Too many people went to the theater expecting to see another Michael Myers movie. They didn't get that. And then they yeah, got that's, so the studio backpedaled and yeah. came out with more Michael that's why Myers I said, stories you know, later. If they would have left Halloween three, <sighs> fine. And I understand, you know, John Carpenter didn't have anything to do with that really and everything. And I feel bad for the man, but yeah, if it, it's a fine movie. I mean, as it stands, it's still the second or third best that Halloween film that's no been made. So, me, but okay. But yeah, so too long. Didn't read standalone movie. Find a dandy part of the Halloween series. Horrible. You, you name me three better in the series than that one. Not counting the original. You can count the original as one of the three. Uh, but you have to you have to name me three movies in that series that are better than season of the that's, that's like are we talking the whole front like into the two thousands and everything? Um Halloween personally, films I would say the original, the two thousand eighteen version, and the two thousand twenty one version. That's so fine. I can give you two of those three. Uh, because yeah, there's an argument that can be made for Halloween 2018. Um, but outside of that, I, I would disagree, and I would put Season of the Witch as the, like uh, I say, second or I third best in the it. franchise. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, you know. But no, this uh, it's it's good to know. It, it, um, it, it is, is it, it is a fun movie. movie. Yeah. Like it it really is, and that's the way I think of it. It's not involved yeah, no, with that, the rest of that series fair. at all. But I, I just, I promised that I would give so. my feelings on it in the show, and I always try to... <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. Now it, yeah, it's, it's yeah, on the record right. now. You can't back away from it anymore. And if, yeah, you, that's right. and if you try, I have receipts. So... Well, once again, thank you. Uh, this was super, super fun. Um, definitely come back next week for The Rock... Uh, for The Rock too, For Face Off. Um... And, and the kickoff of Cage of Palooza 2023. Uh, if you like checking out the show live, uh, I do record it live on Twitch every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. You can hang out in the chat room, uh, hear it, uh, hear the show be made live, or catch it later on. It comes out in podcast form on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, you can also go to uh, youtube.com forward slash at TV's Travis, and there are video versions there that are available. Um, you can go to tvstravis.com and you can find the feed for the show to put into any podcast player you want, uh, as well as links to merchandise or the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash WYHS. Uh, and you can support the show that way. You get uh, special Discord access. There are monthly movie catch up nights where we go through the back catalog of 226 episodes now. Pick a movie that, that uh, patrons haven't watched and hang out and watch that on Discord. Uh, we got one coming up where we're going to watch Hackers. Because I got some patrons that have never seen that. So if you want to get involved in that, you can join uh, the Patreon for as little as a dollar an episode. Um, and uh, you'll also get first crack at some of my video content as it comes out um, that I'm working on behind the scenes right now. So there's some stuff in the works happening there as well. And uh, yeah, the the show will be out. This show will be out uh, this coming Wednesday. And then we're rolling into Cage of Palooza. And ah, I cannot wait. Uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year. So... Until next week and face off, just remember to enjoy your movies and uh, 
Let's be excellent to each other. for a shock I'm the Rocketeer the Rocket who Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program <laughs>